I think Alan Nation, the uh, late editor of the Stockman Grass Farmer, had a very good quote. He said, comfortable people don't create change. Uncomfortable people do. And if you think about that, whether it's your chair or <laughs> what the car you're driving, yeah. if you're comfortable with things, you want to keep the same. So in all reality, uh, can farmers look at a monocropping system and feel comfortable out there with their management of their natural resources. Welcome to the 254th installment of Ear to the Ground, the Land Stewardship Project's podcast on family farming, sustainable agriculture, local food systems, and local democracy. I'm Brian DeVore, editor of the Land Stewardship Letter. A few years ago, Tom and Irene Franson's relationship with diversity was being seriously tested. They started farming in northeastern Iowa in 1974, began transitioning to organic in the 1990s, and by 2000, their crop and livestock operation was fully certified. Tom is the first to concede that they rely on the premiums they receive from their organic crop, pork, and beef production to stay profitable on their 320 acres. And since they can't use petroleum-based fertilizers or pesticides on their operation, Long-term rotations are key to naturally breaking up pest cycles and building fertility. Over the years, they had developed a five-year rotation, corn, soybeans, small grains like oats, hay, and pasture, that did exactly that. But in 2012, giant ragweed, which for many years had been a relatively minor nuisance, was seriously disrupting the France's rotation. In fact, for both organic and conventional farmers, Giant ragweed is now considered to be one of the most difficult to manage weeds in many parts of the Corn Belt. Tom Franson calls giant ragweed an evolutionary monster. That's why he was so excited when, in 2016, he received a call from Practical Farmers of Iowa asking if he was interested in experimenting with a form of hybrid rye that was being introduced into this country by KWS, a German seed company. Hybrid rye is a winter annual a crop planted in the fall that overwinters and is harvested the following summer for grain and straw. If Midwestern farmers are aware of rye, it's probably as an open-pollinated cover crop with little market value. An open-pollinated rye cover crop can be planted in the fall and used to build soil health and battle early emerging weeds the following spring. But hybrid rye is a crop that, through selective breeding, is highly resistant to disease and produces large quantities of grain it can be sold to the milling and distilling industries, as well as fed to livestock. That appealed to the Francins, since they needed something that would produce feed and bedding for their hogs while out-competing weeds well into the summer. Since it's harvested for its grain, hybridized rye stays on the land up until July or August, providing cover for the land and living roots in the soil for much of the growing season. I visited the Francin farm on March 10, 2021, and saw firsthand how hybrid rye has brought the operation's crop rotation back from the brink. Just a few days after the winter snows had subsided, the Francis plantings of hydro rye were bright green, getting a jump start on ragweed and other weed pests. 2021 marks the fifth growing season that hybrid rye has had a presence on the Francis land, and the farmers are convinced it represents a game changer. Giant ragweed is no longer a problem, and hybrid rye is now serving multiple roles on the farm. Besides disrupting weed cycles, it builds soil health, feeds livestock, and serves as a rotational partner for legumes. One estimate is that around 40,000 acres of hybrid rye is now grown on U.S. farms. That's a drop in the bucket compared to the 180 million acres of corn and soybeans that will be planted here this year. But it's a start. In fact, Tom is so sold on hybrid rye's ability to diversify Midwestern agriculture 
that he's co-written a letter to the Secretary of Agriculture pushing for the USDA to support getting established on more acres. I've interviewed several people who are equally excited about the potential hybrid rye has to diversify agriculture. Agronomists, farmers, researchers, and seed dealers say its potential to diversify the corn-soybean dual culture is tremendous. But, they say, it will take significant changes in policy, our marketing infrastructure, and even our system of providing technical and research support to farmers before it becomes more than a specialty crop. If only more people could see how successful the crop has been in battling an evolutionary monster on the Franson farm. Back on that dreary March day, Tom talked to me about why it was so important for him, agronomically and economically, to integrate a winter annual into his rotation, how it fits into his livestock production system, and why it represents a public good that needs to be supported with public resources. Yeah, so Tom, we had talked a little bit about your use of hybrid rye here on the farm, and I was one of the points you had made was this is a really important crop for you to not only break up weed cycles, but you've been able to also, now you're starting, it's kind of, it was a little bit of a domino effect. One thing led to another, and you it, it's a, been a really important way for you to integrate your livestock operation with the fact that you're organic. It, it, it's kind of been almost a, a real important link in the chain here on your operation. But the other thing you mentioned was you're, you're kind of a pioneer, you and Irene, in doing different things, doing kind of regenerative practices here on, uh, on your farm. But you're not doing the same thing you were doing 20 or 30 years ago that you kind of have to adapt. And you, you adapted this new crop kind of just in recent years. So I think that that's a really important point that you have to kind of constantly be on the lookout for change and maybe ways of adapting a little bit. Can you talk about why this was so important to be able to bring in something like a this hybrid rye in, into a, an operation that was already pretty creative and pretty uh, innovative, but that this was like just a really important piece. And it sounds like it came at a really important time for the operation that you were kind of facing some obstacles. Yeah, I think the uh, old expression that diversity leads to stability uh, is a really powerful uh, statement. Um, we had a pretty decent, diverse organic crop rotation prior to hybrid rye, but we were not maintaining stability in regards to the population and the pressure we had of the uh, terrible pest of giant ragweed. Um, and I think that shows that that weed is stronger than any other. Well, it's what um, uh, Matt Liebman says, that weed outcompetes any other spring annual. So what hybrid rye did is, A, it gave us the first real good uh, winter annual that we could use on the farm, but B, it diversified our cropping system, which gives the weeds something to compete with that they haven't met before, and that is a very aggressive winter annual. Um, we just came from the field right now, and that crop is growing very ni nice now on the 10th of March. The rest of the weeds haven't even thought about waking up from winter dormancy. So the uh, real impact on the farm comes from an increase in our biological diversity that changed our cropping planting, that changed our, our harvesting timing, and that also opened up, like for instance, now that we harvest in July, we plant a nitrogen-fixing cover crop or frosted red clover, and then we graze that off in November. That's a pretty good economic impact as well. Plus, that again changes your weed culture because you're doing different things at different times of the year. So small grains, there is a lot of interest on the part of farmers to be using small grains as cover crops. 
But this is, this is, I think, a game changer in that one of the issues with cover crops is unless you're able to add value to them directly with livestock uh, through grazing or in the fall, that kind of thing, they really are kind of a cost in the short term. But you're getting economic value out of these right away, particularly with the grain, the, uh, the grain version of the hybrid rye that you're using. Absolutely. Uh, it, it's economic uh, right off the bat because we have different uses for it. But that's so important because that changes our farmers, our farming marketing. So I'm mean, sure we're feeding it right now, but we also can sell it, as we did this past year, into the milling industry. And as that industry grows with more acres of this, then those options grow. So what farmers really need is options, and, and that's a very good example of a diversified strategy that optimizes our uh, what we can do in a marketplace with, with many alternatives. I think what's another key piece here is that small grains were a part of, uh, particularly in this, you were talking about in this county, in this part of northeast Iowa, uh, 100 years ago, more than 100 years ago. Wheat, for example, was here. We had a wipeout of that crop, and part of that was through some uh, weather catastrophes, that type of thing. And so then we were able to bring small grains back in a little bit when we had the small, diversified livestock operations, oats in particular. But, and you were raising oats but that you weren't even able to raise, use that. And, and this has allowed you to bring in, in some ways, using this small grain, the hybrid rye has helped you bring back a very, another important small grain, which was oats that had kind of been taken out of the picture for you. Uh, giant ragweed will run oats. There's any question about it. it just, it'll ruin any oats crop uh, with any uh, uh, population whatsoever. So, it's how do you deal with these ecological imbalances. And if you're all a one kind of a weed out in the field, you've got an imbalance. Um, and so our situation here, we do not have enough balance in regards to our planting dates. And so by having a fall seeded annual, you change things a lot. But also take a look at the effect of breaking up the cycle in, middle, in the end of July. If we plant that nitrogen-fixing cover crop in July, once again, we're doing something out in the field that spring-seeded annuals just don't understand. If that's an annual weed, I mean, we're out there in July. That, that's, that's a really different strategy, and that diversified strategy stabilizes populations. And you've been doing feed trials with it as well with your hogs. Yes, we started feed trials in uh, September of 2017, and then it with uh, help from both KWS Cereals and Albert Lee Seed House, and through the Practical Farmers of Iowa, we did four replications in which we took one half of the corn out of the gross soy pig diet and replaced that corn with hybrid rye. Once we adjusted for energy and have the same energy levels, the performance was the same. I think the statistics would show we actually improved carcass quality. Um, but a huge project is underway in Illinois looking at pork carcass quality and rye feedstuffs, and I think it just looks very good. Uh, rye has a different oil to it than corn, and corn oil produces a certain corn oil fat. You're not going to get that type of fat deposition in a growing hog because you've changed change the uh, diet. Well, the diet's more diverse. I can argue the pork is very likely better. Well, I think that's important because you're or an organic operation, and I think you it could be an e a fairly easy sale for other organic operations to adapt a crop like this because they're always looking for a diverse 
small grain to get into that mix kind of thing. But this, if with the feed trials and with some of the soil health benefits that you get from this and, uh, you know, the grain that can be sold and the forage quality, this is a way to maybe to appeal to farmers who aren't going to go organic, who, who maybe are more in a more conventional corn soybean system, that, or maybe they're raising hogs in a more conventional system, but they're looking for an alternative feed source, that kind of thing. I think Alan Nation, the uh, late editor of the Stockman Grass Farmer, had a very good quote. He said, comfortable people don't create change. Uncomfortable people do. And if you think about that, whether it's your chair or <laughs> what the car you're driving, yeah. if you're comfortable with things, you want to keep the same. So in all reality, uh, can farmers look at a monocropping system and feel comfortable out there with their management of their natural resources. I don't mean that to confront people say they're doing poorly. The bottom line is, seriously, how comfortable do you really feel with how you're managing those resources? And if you have more diversity involved in this, you can change. Uh, you have the motivation, if you're uncomfortable, to adapt to more of a diverse strategy is what I'm trying to say. And I'm pretty confident that we really can move things forward. I think the big picture question here that this raises is you were introduced to the first hybrid rye that you planted here through um, – the, the, the seed was obtained and was developed and the hybrid, this uh, research that was done, was done in Europe. And we have a supposedly one of the greatest land-grant research systems in the, here, but it wasn't developed here. <laughs> I think that raises a really interesting question. What, you know, why is it we had to bring it in from Europe and what can be done here in the United States with our land-grant research system to advance something like this? That's a great question. Um, let's quote another person. Uh, this person still alive is Alan Savory, uh, who's really the founder of Holistic Management. And Savory uh, once observed that change never comes from the center of the pack. In fact, he said the center of pack really is very comfortable spot, and they don't want any change. And that it, it, I don't make much difference what we're talking about over here. Change typically comes from the outside. So in this situation, um, the fact that these crops are not developed in the United States, I think that's a very good question to ask. I mean, do we really want a diverse agriculture? Uh, what really are we trying to breed crops for? I mean, what is our perspective here? Is it so narrow that we just focus all of our work on two crops? Well, then you got two crops. We have a lot of resources here. Obviously, when, the, when they went into the rye genome, they could create a breeding program and create a true hybridized rye plant over It's rather interesting because resource existed. But then again, uh, uh, people decided they wanted to make this happen, and they did. That could have been done here. Probably still can be done here. But the bottom line is, and I think it is appropriate to challenge the people who have uh, uh, say-so uh, in these institutions as, just what are we trying to create? Well, and it's a really good argument for, let's say you don't have anything to do with agriculture, you're just a typical taxpayer who lives in the city or the suburbs. You need to look at this when you talk about what your tax money is funding, and you, this is a public good. You, you're, this is a crop that can help diversify agriculture help it deal with climate change, help develop uh, healthier foods, that kind of thing. Uh, you know, wildlife habitat is another issue that's come up that you found with this hybrid rye. So if you want these public goods, you're going to have to maybe pony up 
and make sure that some of your your tax money is going to to fund this public this kind of public research. Yeah, yeah. Once again, are people comfortable with the way things are? Yeah. And honestly, answer that question: comfortable, uncomfortable. I couldn't say I was comfortable with the pressures I had with weeds and with our crop rotation, even though that had evolved over 15 years of organic. I'm much more comfortable now, and yet our uh, organic rotations have now evolved in the last two years. So it's a continuum. It's not like, well, you just turn a new page, and now we're on page three, and that's it. No, this is just a continuum. And then there'll be more developments, and there are going to be more, there is more different types of genetic resources available already. This is only in six years. Will it look like in 10 years? I think very encouraging. 20 years? More encouraging, yeah. For more information on the role a crop like hybrid rye can play in diversifying Midwestern agriculture, read A Grain of Ecological Truth in the number 1, 2021 Land Stewardship Letter. I also did a podcast interview with Tom Franson soon after he planted his first crop of hybrid rye a few years ago. Links to that article and the podcast are on the podcast page for Ear to the Ground episode number 254. Check it out at landstewardshipproject.org. If you have comments or suggestions about this podcast, contact Brian DeVore at bdevore at landstewardshipproject.org or you can call 612-816-9342. By the way, it helps us greatly if you can give Ear to the Ground a rating on iTunes, Stitcher, Spotify, or whatever podcast platform you utilize. Thanks to Laura Borgendale, a Western Minnesota musician, for Ear to the Ground's theme music. And a special thank you to all of Land Stewardship Project's members, who make initiatives such as this podcast possible. If you're not a member, visit landstewardshipproject.org to learn how you can support LSP. Thanks for listening. <laughs>